That was awesome. It really is a jungle out there. And if we're going to survive, if we're going to thrive, we need to do it together. We need to stick together. Welcome to week five of our eight-week series. Yeah, that's right, for those paying attention. Identity of the Grove, who we are, is it's now an eight-week series. And the added date is, is March the 2nd. And the conversation on that day, as we, as we look back at the, at the vision, mission, and core values of Maple Grove, um, the message is going to be called All In, and it's going to be a day of celebration and a day of commitment for us as a church, all right? Well, let's do a minute review of where we've been so far in this conversation about the Grove's vision, mission, and core values. Uh, on January the 12th, we, we began... Um, unveiling our vision, mission, and core values with our vision statement, which is this, following Christ and life-changing community. Following Christ and life-changing community. And, and as I have said repeatedly uh, throughout this conversation uh, about the Grove's identity, uh, we're not about buildings. We are, we are not about budgets. We are, we are not about being bigger or better than a church down the road. We, we, are, we are not about programs. We are not about our own personal comfort, wants, or desires. Instead, we are about changing lives for the better. A question, has anybody's life been changed for the better since you began following Jesus? I mean, do you remember where you were? Do you remember what it was like before Jesus? Is it better now? Is it more hopeful now? Is it, is it more satisfying now? Is it more purposeful now? And I don't know about you. I know he's, he's so not done changing me. He, you know, he's, got, he's got a lot of work to do. So that vision statement's for me too, right? I'm looking forward to the change that he's going to continue to make in my life. And, and, and how, how will this vision of life change become reality? Uh, by each of us embracing, living out, fulfilling, and owning our mission, which is what? Like Jesus, we seek the lost, make disciples, and we show compassion. And, and the last few weeks, we have been um, unveiling our five core values, five convictions, five anchor points, five non-negotiables that will help guide and move us forward as a church. And the Grove's number one core value is this. Number one, at the top, these are in a specific order. Our number one core value is that we honor biblical authority. I understand, you know, we are not over the Bible. We are under the Bible. The Bible, not anything else, not any person, is the highest authority in our lives and in our church. And anytime we, we find ourselves disagreeing with the Bible, it's because we are what? Because we're wrong. Now remember, this book is, is not just words about God. This book is words from God. And because it is, you know, we are committed as a church, we're committed to, uh, to reading this book, to studying this book. As a matter of fact, in your outline, you'll see the second half of our faith comes from hearing um, number seven. You know, it's in your program right there, a chapter a day, right? Keeps the devil away, right? Corny, but, you know, it probably works a little bit, right? It, it may help. 
And, and uh, this is for the, the next four weeks right here. Sunday's a day off. It's a catch-up day. And, you know, and because we're serious about Bible study, uh, and then the next week we're having uh, the very next Saturday morning live. And what that is, it's a, it's a three-hour Bible study. We're doing an initial survey of the Bible. This will be part two. You can go to our website and you know, we have the video of the, of the class from the, the last time and the handout you, that you can download, but we're going to be looking at the, uh, the five books of wisdom and the major and minor prophets for three hours this coming Saturday. Uh, because you know why? Because we want to be a church that is biblically literate. And, 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 and remember, you know, when we live under the authority of the Bible, it, it brings blessings and power and protection to our life. Our second core value as a church is we depend on God. We depend on God. Do you remember that picture that we had uh, 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 last week of the big red tractor? You know, we don't want to do that, right? You know, know, Harold's a farmer, right? That, that, That wouldn't work so good, would it? You know, we want to have the tractor do what it's supposed to do and not pull it ourselves. And so we depend on God. And and the reason why it's such a good idea to depend on God is because God is crazy big. Like he created everything. That's real big. He, he, God is mind-blowingly good and God is absolutely trustworthy. Absolutely trustworthy. So maybe Grove, I, I say, let's lean hard into God. Let's depend on God and, and let's close up, Right? Uh, let's live with high expectations because of the God that we serve. And now prayer, you know, it, prayer is one of the main ways that, that, that we as a body, we as a people demonstrate and live out this dependence. And because of that, um, I, I'm going to offer you guys a, what I'm calling the 2014 prayer challenge. And, and uh, remember the early church was born in a prayer meeting. And here's what I want to challenge you guys to do right up here. Boom. You know, I, I I want you to attend at least two before the thrones in the year 2014. Just two. There'll probably be like seven more. The next one's on March the 1st. We come for an hour and a half and we pray to God. God help us. We can't do this on our own. Just two. And I want to challenge you once a month, you know, and you guys who would be, you know, once a month, get here about 815 to 820, just once a month. Okay. You can start in March if you want. So that's only like, what, 10 times. Uh, the rest of the year, but you'll come here at 815, 820 when we pray for the church. We pray for the services. You know, we pray for people to hear God's word. Okay, that's my challenge, you know. You know, and, and, and raise your hand if you're up to those challenges. Oh, you're scared to, right? Look around the room. You're a little bit scared. All right, that's okay. You know, God will get you, right? You know, uh, but we want to depend on God. And, and on Sundays, we have the most people at our church, a great time to pray. All right? Okay. Now, this morning, we're going we're gonna to roll out our number three core value, which you saw earlier. We do life together. Would you pray with me? Palms open. God, we love you, and we're here to receive from you. We're not here to tell you what we want to hear or tell, tell you how we want our lives to be. We're here to hear from you, for you are the author of life. And, and God, I pray that you move in this place, in this room today. God, I pray that you help us, help us to become the people and church you want us to be. Uh, Father, I, I pray that your word will come with power. I, I, I pray that you would enable me to speak in the way that you want me to. And God, we just thank you for this opportunity we have to be your people, to be in your presence, to be part of your family. Spirit, we need you. 
Uh, we don't want to push and pull this tractor even to service on our own. No, we're not I'm not depending on the words I have on paper or the things on the screen. I'm depending on you, God, to speak to us, your people. Amen. Okay, so, so why is, it's hard to get the right number of fingers up. Why is our number three core value, we do life together? Why is it? Well, for two reasons. First, because we were created for community. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. That's like at the very beginning. In, in, the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. In your note circle, God created. The Spirit of God was hovering, and God said... And do you see it? Do you see it tucked right there in the first three verses of the Bible? I mean, the essence of the universe, the essence of all existence is right there in those ten words. God created. The Spirit of God was hovering. God said. I understand when you, when you pull it all down, the essence of all of life can be summed up in just one word, the word Community. And listen, community has been around long before creation. And it's the very foundation of the universe itself. And right there in Genesis 1, we see the divine community working together. Uh, the Father creating, the Spirit hovering, and the Son speaking. An eternal, perfect relationship connected together, working together, creating together oneness in its purest form. God has always existed. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have always been in perfect community. In fact, they are the very definition of oneness and selflessness. Understand, when you look at the community of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, you don't find them focusing on themselves but on each other. The Spirit points to Jesus and says, Look at him, listen to him, learn from him, follow him, worship him, be devoted to him, serve him, love him, be preoccupied with him. And when we look at the son, we don't see Jesus walking around saying, I'm the greatest. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going to the father for the father is greater than me. And then according to Mark, Jesus submitted to the spirit when he went out into the wilderness. And before Jesus left, he told his guys, hey, you ought to be glad I'm leaving, because wait till you get to meet the Spirit. And then there's the Father. Twice in the gospel, we hear the Father say, this is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. Note the Father didn't say, listen to me first, then listen to Him. Or listen to Him if He agrees with me. He just said, listen to Him. Bottom line, the essence of all of life can be summed up in just one word, community. And listen, community is as eternal and as infinite as God is. Get it? And now, not only do we, do we see the divine community in Genesis 1, but we also see God getting busy creating an indescribable, an indescribable universe. And after placing billions of galaxies full of billions of stars in the heavens, after creating both time and space, God zeroed in on his pet project 
a small planet on the outer fringe of one of those immense galaxies, the third rock from the sun. And, and, and listen, this, this infinite God not, not only pumped incredible beauty, incredible beauty into this planet, majestic snow-capped mountains. See some of the Olympic pictures? Fast-moving rapids, roaring waterfalls, vast canyons, wide-open oceans, jagged cliffs, towering redwoods, and breathtaking sunrises and sunsets, but he also, he also poured out life all over the place. You know what I find interesting? You know, NASA, you know, you know, science spends millions of dollars trying to find life on some remote planet, and maybe they will, maybe they won't, but all you have to do on earth is take a, 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 a shovel of dirt or a cup of water under the microscope, and you'll see that it's teeming with life. Earth is definitely God's pet project. And then on day six of the creative process, uh, God finally, with a smile on his faces, uh, got down to what was the purpose behind everything. He had spoken into existence. Did you know, Kathleen, that, that you're the purpose behind everything? That God created galaxies and stars and sunrises for you and for me? And then God said, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. What does that mean? Circle in our image, in our likeness. Now, obviously, God couldn't reproduce himself. God is unique. He's absolute. But God did the very next best thing. He created someone in his own image. And being God's image and likeness involves many things, like being able to think, reason, plan, dream, feel, choose, create. But listen, I'm absolutely convinced that at its core, being made in God's image and likeness is about relationships. It's about connecting with and enjoying a relationship with God and connecting with and enjoying relationships with other people. And because this is true, God says the following in Genesis 2, verse 18. And the Lord said, it is not good for the man to what? To be alone. I'll make a companion for him. You see, when, when God created Adam, at, at first it was just him, just Adam. And yeah, I, yeah, I know he had a beautiful garden to live in, all kinds of animals to live with, and he even got to name those animals, right? I don't know how he came with all those names, right? Platypus, hippopotamus, I mean, I mean he, you know, armadillo, rhinoceros. But late in the day, he started getting tired, right? Cow, <laughs> ox. Uh, but listen, he, even though it looked as if he had all he needed a perfect world to live in, no health problems, financial problems, career concerns, no IRS, no sin and separation from God. There was still something missing in his life. Adam was alone, and God said, that's not good. Why? Because man is made in God's image, and the very essence of God is community, is relationships. Again, the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone, and oh, how we know that to be true. There's a little book called The All Better Book. In it, elementary school kids are asked to how they would solve some of the world's greatest problems, like you know, the ozone layer and how to get people to stop smoking. And here's the toughest problem they were handed. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? Here's some ideas. Huh? Kalani, age eight. People should find lonely people and ask their name and address. Then as people aren't lonely, their name and address. When you have an even amount of each, assign lonely people and not lonely people together in a newspaper. Okay? <laughs> She's type A, right? Definitely. Okay? Max, age nine. He's my favorite. Make food that talks to you when you eat it. For instance, it would say, how you doing? 
How was your day? Wouldn't that be crazy, man? You grab a slice of pizza. Say, how was your day? All right, uh, here's the next one. Um, Matt, AJ, we could get people a pet or a husband or a wife and take them places. <laughs> uh, Brian, AJ, sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of those things. And John Ortberg, in his book, uh, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Him, a great book, he writes this. For centuries, some of the smartest grown-ups who ever lived that devoted themselves to this problem, this God-designed hunger for community, is why Plato wrote The Republic and Augustine wrote The City of God. It's why so many of our stories are about longing to reach community from Odyssey to Walton's Mountain, from Camelot to Mayberry, from Friends to Boys in the Hood. It's why we attend church, join bowling leagues, and go on blind dates. It's why the single most remembered American speech of the 20th century was a plea for all human beings one day being able to eat together at the same table of fellowship, join hands, and sing a common song. Social scientist Gene Elstein notes that Martin Luther King Jr. captured the conscience of a society because he was articulating not just his dream, but a human dream, God's dream. It's not good for the man to be alone. Now, unfortunately, most of us know from personal experience, that there's no sting like the sting of loneliness. Yeah, I'm pretty confident most of us have been there and done that when it comes to loneliness, but we don't like to talk about it, right? Because as Mother Teresa says, loneliness is the leprosy of modern society, and we don't want nobody thinking that we are a leper. So in Genesis chapter 2, God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to make a companion who will what? Help him. Help him do what? Well, I think, number one, help him with this problem of what? Being alone. Hey, do you remember your first best friend? I do. And and though I haven't seen him in 40-plus years, his name was Jackie Chilcote. Here's the house where Jackie lived, right there. Uh, Me and my brother did a trip to do my mom's ashes. We went back to Baltimore, and uh, that's Jackie's house right there. Uh, I took that picture, you know, a couple months ago. And, and, and we were best friends from when I was four to w- when I was seven, uh, and, and when we moved. And we did everything together. We climbed trees, threw rocks, played Batman and Robin. I was always Batman because I was older. Uh, we played King of the Hill, and that hill seemed so much bigger. I mean, seriously, that, that, that's, not, that's not even a hill, but it, it was big back then. And, and I'll tell you what, when we were together, it felt like the world was ours. I mean, we're only, we're only like five years old. I mean, we're like three foot nothing. You know, but it didn't feel that way when I was with Jackie. I mean, there's no obstacle that we could not overcome, no challenge that was too big for us. Hey, tell, tell the person next to you who your first best friend was, the first person outside your family that you did life with. Go ahead. I understand throughout the pages of scriptures, we see example after example of of people doing life together, right? Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Aaron, Caleb and Joshua, David and Jonathan, David and his mighty men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Esther and Mordecai, Peter and John, Paul and Silas, Barnabas and Mark, Paul and Timothy. And of one thing we can be certain, their lives would be so much different without their friends, wouldn't it? And even when Jesus walked the earth, he needed friends. He had 12 close friends who he chose, Mark 3, 14 says, that they might be with him. Sure, sure, Jesus wanted them with them to prepare and train them, but also there was this, there was this 
matter of fellowship. I mean, think about it. Doing life together is just part of who Jesus is. I mean, literally, Jesus has been doing life forever. Therefore, it stands to reason that when God puts on flesh and walks this earth, he's going to be looking for some community to live in. So he, he chose 12 guys, and of those 12 guys, he even picked three other guys, right? Three guys were even closer to him, right? Peter, James, and Andrew. I mean, Peter, James, and John. He formed kind of an inner circle. All right? and, and then Jesus even had a best friend, some people think, right? Because John referred to himself as a disciple that Jesus loved. And that night in the garden, right, when Jesus faced his greatest challenge, who do he want with him? Did, did, did he want somebody with flesh on him with him? Absolutely. And here's my point. If Jesus needed friends, how much more do the rest of us? I understand we all, every one of us needs somebody to lean on. We all, every one of us need people who care about us, people who we can relax and be ourselves around, people who will encourage us, support us, and challenge us. We all, every one of us need what I call three o'clock in the morning friends. The kind of friend who you call three o'clock in the morning and he says, hey, are you all right? And not, hey, you know what time it is? You know, all right? We need those kind of friends. The gross number three core value is we do life together. Why? Because... We're created for community. It's how God wired us up. It's who we are. We're created in his image. Number two, because we were recreated for community. I understand, God, God does not intend for us to live the Christian life by ourselves. He doesn't want us to follow him on our own. It's not his desire that we go through the struggles, the storms, and challenges of life alone. You know, it, it wasn't easy to follow Christ in the first century. Times were tough. Persecution was rampant. But the early church were bound together, like we sang, right? Into a fellowship, into a community. They were there for each other. They, they were connected to each other. And listen, it, it was in this interconnectedness that they, like the towering redwoods, found their strength. We, you ever seen redwoods? I've seen them up close and personal. Check out this picture. They're like huge. That is like one stinking big tray. You know, and as I was working my message this week, I did some research. I go all kinds of crazy places when I work on a message. And, and, you know, you would think that trees that can go up to 300 feet tall and been around for 2,500 years, you would think that they had, would have a very deep root system that would go down hundreds of feet. But they don't. They actually have a very shallow root system. But what happens is it's shallow, but it reaches out and intertwines with the roots of the other trees. See, they're tied together. They're interlocked. They literally hold each other up. Yeah, they need one another to survive. So do we. No, no it, it wasn't easy to be a Christ follower in the first century. And you know what? It isn't easy to follow Christ and truly live for him in our day either. I mean, there's so many things that, that come against us. Discouragement, temptation, sin, apathy, failure, materialism, unbelieving family and friends, doubts, rejection, unanswered prayers, unanswered questions. Yes, there are so many obstacles in our desire to follow and live for Christ, and that is why Jesus created the church. With billions of people, 
world, you would think someone would figure out a way so no one's lonely. Guess what? Somebody has that someone is Jesus, and that system is called, that way is called the church. And when we think of church simply as a building, we miss the point. And in fact, if Jesus were here today, you said, hey, Jesus, where's the church? He wouldn't point to a building, and he would not give us an address. Instead, Jesus would explain to us how the church is this massive group of people, his body, his family, living on this planet, people who fear him, people who follow him, people who are faithful to him, people who are filled with his spirit. Understand, Jesus' plan was and is fellowship, was and is community, was and is people doing life together. And he could not have made that point any clearer than on that Thursday night, could he? I mean, the sky is dark, the garden is pretty quiet, except for a guy falling on the ground, pleading to God in desperation. Time had come for Jesus to do what he came to do. No, it won't be long before the the dark night and the silence of the garden will be broken by uh, flaming torches and the sound of soldiers' feet. And as Jesus moves closer to the cross, he prays not for himself, but for those he'll leave behind. You see, in those final moments, Jesus reveals what is closest to his heart. Hear these words again from a man who was about to die. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That'd be us. Here's what Jesus is praying for Maple Grove. Here's what he's praying for you and me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you're in me and I am in you. This relationship we've had since before time, forever, into eternity. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And as we look at the book of Acts, you know what we see? The early church, they got it. They understood this. They understood that Jesus' plan was community, and they fully embraced the truth that none of us can do what all of us can do. None of us can do what all of us can do together. And that is why when you look at the earliest description of the church, you do not find any personal pronouns in the description. We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It starts off with the word they. Well, who's the they? Well, you jump back to the next verse. The they is those who accepted Peter's message on the day of Pentecost and were baptized. About 3,000 people are the they. Well, what was the message? The message was that Jesus came, Jesus died. The one they killed was the Christ. And the way out of this trouble, this mess you're in, the way to get right with God is to do what? Repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? For the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were, dev- they, so that's the they, those who believe the message, they devoted themselves, and that word means to adhere to with strength. It's, it's in the present tense. Uh, they devoted themselves. They continually devoted to themselves. They adhere to with strength, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What were they devoted to? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which kind of lines up to our number one core value, don't you think? Uh, uh, they were devoted to prayer, kind of lines up to our number two core value. They're devoted to communion, which we do every week, and they're devoted to the fellowship. It's a Greek word, koinia. And, and, and I, you know, for some reason, I, 
I really don't like the term fellowship hall. Not that it's a bad term, but it, just because we've put the name fellowship on it doesn't mean fellowship happens. Sometimes we could call it the anti-fellowship hall, right? Definitely the anti-fellowship kitchen, right? When you work in the kitchen, man, that's a bad place to work, right? Because, right? You know what I'm saying? But here's what the word means. It means to have in common, to share, to participate with, to be a family in every sense of the word. You know what? We'll do stuff for a family that we won't do for anyone else, right? We'll do stuff for a family we won't do for anyone else. And so this community was devoted to these things. And it says, everyone's filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were, what's the next word? Together. They had everything in common. And we're like, hey, I want to be like that, right? Well, hold on. Selling their possessions and goods. Wait a second. <laughs> they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. Because of his devotion to these things, God, because they did what they were supposed to do, God did what only he could do. Added to the number daily, those who were being saved. Again, Jesus' plan for us was and is together. That's why Paul wrote these words in Ephesians. In him, the whole building, not a physical building, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built, what? Built together. You see, in that awesome picture, together, we are being built together to what? To become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Our number three core value is we do life together. Why? Because we're created for community, right? I mean, it goes back to the very beginning. We can't deny it. And we're recreated for community. We can't deny that either. And and I think most of us get that, at least in theory, right? I mean, raise your hand if you think we're supposed to do life together. I'll get more hands in the prayer, right? Okay. That's all right. And, and I mean, we, we've been talking about this together thing since the fall of 2010, right? When we began to lay the groundwork for um, launching our life groups, and which Randy's going to talk about briefly, and launching our life groups in January of 2011. And Randy's going to say something about our life groups, one of the ways we look uh, to bring community to our church, and we're going to see a, a video clip as well. Hi, my name is Brandy Pierce, and we started attending Maple Grove in June of 2013. We had just moved here from Colorado, and we were looking for a place to take our family so we can grow with God. Our experience at the Grove has been such a blessing. Immediately before I started going to the Grove, I was... I was sad. I was a little depressed. I was feeling down about being away from my family in Colorado. I didn't have any friends. I just, I just felt alone. Um, but soon after, God worked miracles for me. He brought me to the Grove and showed me that there's a new family for me here. Um, our life group, uh, they just loved us into the fam their family, and the whole church is just moving with God leading. And through our financial struggles and homesickness and stress and just everyday life, the Grove has been there to support us and nurture our thirst for God, and I am so thankful. My love and passion for God has never been stronger. I have changed so much by being a part of the Grove. 
I was baptized here, and God has been working on me from the inside out ever since. I have more compassion, more care, I am more aware of God, and thirst to know Him even more every day. The Grove helps me to be closer to God. Um, I'm serving in children's ministry, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, my life just feels so complete now. I'm blessed that that God brought me to Maple Grove, um, and I love all of you for helping us in our time of need, for making me feel part of the family, for nurturing my my desires for God, and for letting God be a constant present in this amazing place. Okay, thank you. Bye. Amen. Amen. That was good. Again, this doing life together thing, it's great in theory and even greater in experience. But understand, before we can actually experience community, we'll have to overcome several obstacles. And listen, there, there's got to be some obstacles, right? Because not any, everybody who attends this church or all churches are actually doing life together. And I want to suggest some obstacles to community, some things that come against this idea that we all think is good, that, that come against it and, and, and oppose it. Um, uh, first is the, the personal obstacle. And, and this personal obstacle c- comes to it comes into play in at least three ways. You know, I, you know, I don't really want to do this, you know, this, this together fellowship thing because I feel like I'm doing okay on my own. I, I don't really need it. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, handling life pretty well, and besides bringing a bunch of other people into the mix is just going to make life a lot more complicated. You see, it, it's so hard to see beyond ourselves, right? Well, I, I, no, I don't really need it. Maybe somebody needs you. Uh, another reason could be, I don't want people to know my stuff, because then they'll know that I'm what? Messed up. Guess what? We already know. You're messed up. Remember I said, you know, I'm a pastor who's messed up full of a church of people who are messed up, right? I'm a messed up pastor serving messed up people, all right? So guess what? Cat's out of the bag already. You are messed up, right? Seriously. Look in the mirror. Come on. Do you doubt it? Okay. Uh, A third reason could be, you know, I opened myself up and make myself vulnerable in the past, and I got burned for it. Ever happened to you? Happened to David. David writes this, man. You just feel his emotions. It's not an enemy who taunts me. I I could bear that. It's not my foe who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and close friend. Then he thinks about, man, what good fellowship we enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Man, Man, we should go to church together. We're in the same life group, man. We used to go out to dinner on Sundays after church, and now you're the one who's turned against me. Okay, that's an obstacle, a personal obstacle. we got to get past that. Another is what I call the cultural obstacle. Understand, we are a product of our culture. Culture is on us. Culture is all around us. And whether we admit it or not, culture affects us. And listen, the culture that we, that, that you and I live in, 21st century America, has embraced some core values has embraced, has embraced some convictions, some non-negotiables, some, some ways of thinking, ways of believing, and, and ways of behaving that fight against community, that fight against doing life together. And, and what are those core values? Well, well, maybe you'll recognize a few of these. Here's some of our core values. Convenience, options, time maximization, you know, multitasking, right? 
Don't waste my time. In and out, right? 30 minutes. In and out, in and out, in and out. You know, we want to microwave our friendships, right? We want some 4G friendships, man. We want them out there now. Boom, I'm there. I got it. And some other things, right? Uh, comfort, right? Fights against community. Independence. We're, like do our own thing. Fights against community. Flexibility. Customization. We want to have it our way. Control. Experience. Happiness. Guys, th- these are core convictions of our culture today, right? These are the values that American culture is embracing. Here's some values that, that, that we've kind of uh, unembraced, if that's a word, right? We've unembraced these. We, we resist these values. We reject conformity. We reject consensus. Uh, we reject citizenship. We reject tradition. We reject dependence. We reject accountability. We reject sacrifice. We reject submission, right? We don't want to do those things. And can, do you see how those things fight against community? You know, and, and we're in that culture, right? We're in there. We're in there. We're going to have to overcome that obstacle, right? Uh, a, a, a third obstacle is the social networking obstacle. You know, social networking is the way that billions of people connect in our world today. And here are the top seven social networking sites. You know, and, and they're, ranked, you know, they're, they're ranked according to um, the number of unique viewers they have each month, right? Not how many times each person goes, but this many different people Go to the site each month. Here's number seven. Do you recognize what this one is? Anybody know? Instagram, all right? And how many people go there? 85 million people every month, different people go there. Here, here's the next one. Numbers, anybody know what that is? That's actually Tumblr, right? Tumblr, and how many people go there? 110 million. Next, it's called Google Plus. Okay, how many people go there every month? 120 million. Number four is, who knows that? Yeah, we know that one, don't we? All right, how many people go there? 150 million different people, right? Every month, some of you are one of them. Here's the next one. Anybody know what that one is? LinkedIn. 250 million different people go to that every month, okay? Um, and now we come to this one. Who knows this one? Twitter, how many people? 290 million people, different people every month. They're on there. And here's the, here's the granddaddy of them all, right? We know what it is. Facebook, right? 900 million, nearly a billion people, different people are, are there every month on Facebook. And listen, whether you like social networking or not, it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. I mean, just like indoor plumbing, right? I, I mean, it would do us no good to stomp our feet and say, that indoor plumbing, it's a bad idea, because it's not going anywhere, right? And neither is social networking. But listen, here's the core issue with social networking and doing life together. A guy named Shane Shane Hips writes this. He nailed it. Digital space has the extraordinary ability to create vast superficial networks, but it's ill-suited for generating intimate human connection. You see, the vast majority of my Facebook fans, they're not my real friends. I don't know about you, but I've gotten a friend request. I mean, someone says, hey, Steve, I want to be your friend, and I've accepted that friend request. And then I never hear from them again. They never stop in to say hi. You know, they never post on my book to see how I'm doing. You know, I have 685 Facebook friends. Last Tuesday was my birthday. How many people gave me a happy birthday? About 100, right? How many did it? 585. <laughs> and the truth is, I'm not the best Facebook friend either. Sure, we may have hundreds of friends on Facebook and hundreds of people following us on Twitter, but when life comes crashing down on us, 
Is there really anyone to sit across the table and just be there? A few years back, Promise Keepers did a survey among guys and say, can you name the, name the six other guys that would be there to carry your coffin? And he couldn't do it. And see, uh, uh, another thing about, about Facebook is that having too many Facebook friends can actually bum you out. In a recent study, researchers asked a sample group of Facebook users between the age of 18 and 65 to read some of their friends' status updates. Afterwards, those Facebook users rated their lives as much less satisfying than people who didn't check their news feed first. Among the group who read updates, the study revealed that having 354 Facebook friends seemed to be the tipping point after which people are increasingly unhappy with their lives. And this is in Men's Health in February 2012. The reason, much of how we judge our success in life is based on how we stack up against our peers. Problem is that Facebook gives us a limited view of our friends' lives. And that view tends to be unrealistically positive. The more friends you have, he adds, the more likely you're to spend your day endlessly reading about someone's paradise vacation, new girlfriend, or job promotion. You ever read Facebook and got bummed out? I got I've been bummed out. Like, well, I'm pretty bummed out. <laughs> My life kind of stinks. Again, social networking is here to stay. It's not a bad thing. It can be used for good. I'm going to keep using it. But here's why I think it's an obstacle to community and doing life together. Number one, it creates an illusion of connection, not connection. Which unfortunately gives us just enough feeling of connection to keep us from pursuing the real thing. It's like we're eating spam, right? And so we're not hungry for prime rib. You know, it's like, seriously. It's like, spam, prime rib, but it's like, well, I've got some kind of connection. Number two, it removes, at least in our minds, the need to, be, to participate, to connect, the need to be physically present with that person. It's an obstacle. We've got a cultural obstacle. We've got personal obstacles. Well, uh, we have social networking obstacles. We have a spiritual obstacle. Peter put it this way, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? To devour. And, and, and who is this roaring lion looking to devour? Is this roaring lion going to jump right in the middle of the pack of, uh, of people? Absolutely not. He's looking for who? The one wandering off how? All by themselves. Let me tell you, if there's anybody who does not, the person who wants you to not do life together the most is the devil, is your enemy, because he wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. He wants you to fight alone. He wants you to struggle alone. He wants you to sin alone, to do stupid things alone. He wants you to life all by yourself, and he's going to get you all by yourself, and he's going to devour you. Well, it's about time to wrap this puppy up and take her home. But as we wrap up, I, I want to mention three motivations for overcoming the obstacle to biblical community. Okay? Because, like, okay, like, why should we? Right? Why should we? Motivation number one. Ultimately, fellowship, community, doing life together is not a matter of choice or preference. It's a matter of what? Oh, Steve, did you have to go there? Yeah, I do. A new command I give you, love one another. This is Jesus talking. As I loved you, so you what? As I have loved you the way I loved you. Peter, when you screwed up, was I there for you? When you guys did stupid things, was I there for you? When you're hurt, Peter, when your mother-in-law was sick, was, was I there for you? Well, I want you to be there for each other in the same way.
Listen, we cannot love God's way. We, 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 can, we, we can not love the 1 Corinthians 13 way from a distance. we got to be connected. Again, you know, our number one core value, right? We honor biblical authority. And according to our authority, connection, fellowship, doing life together is not an option. Get it? Oh, you didn't want it, did you? No, okay. Uh, motivation number two. We cannot and we will not live the life God created us to live and become all that he wants us to be on our own. On our own. You see, th- there are things that you and I need for growth that we just can't get on our own. You see, like those towering redwoods, we need our roots. We need our lives connected with other people in order to survive. You know, throughout the New Testament, you're, you're going to see these, and these are going to flash up quick. You know, but, but here's some things that we get in community, right? Check them out as they flash on the screen. You know, serve one another, accept one another, forgive one another, admonish one another, bear one another's burdens, be devoted to one another, honor one another, strengthen one another, Teach one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another on. Confess your sins to one another. Love one another. See, the community is where we get strength. and It's where people carry our burdens. It's where people pray for us. It's where people admonish us, right? Yo, you're doing something stupid. Don't do that. You're hurting yourself. That's not what God wants you to do. That's not the correct way to think or to behave or to live. We need those things. In his book, The Connected Church, Randy Free says this, the experience of authentic community is one of the purposes God intends to be fulfilled by the church. The writings of Scripture lead one to conclude that God intends the church not to be one bolt on the wheel of activity in our lives, but the very hub at the center of one's life. Final statement, without the church, without other people, without community, the mission will not be accomplished, at least not by us. Don't believe me? That's Jesus, right? He said it. He he said what? By this, by the way you love each other, that's how people are going to know you're my disciples. If you love one another. Understand, God is not trying to, God is not trying to save a bunch of individuals. But God is trying to, he's trying to, to make a people who will follow him, who will reflect him, who will represent him, who will live in this world. And it's our relationship with one another, our relationship with one another is a criteria by which the world will use to judge whether our message is true. Our community, how we do life together is what makes our message believable. When we love each other the way God wants us to, when we're there for each other, we pray for one another, we admonish one another, the world sees that and they're drawn to it. Francis Schaeffer put it this way. Christian community is the final apologetic. It's the final apologetic. See, the the, the number three core value at the Grove is we do life together. Why? Created for it, recreated for it. And, And it really comes down to this. You know, we, and we is not just me. We is not just the leadership. We is y'all. It's us. You know, 
we got to decide, do we want to be a biblically functioning community? I, I, I can't make us do life together. The elders can't make us do life together. The life group team cannot make us do life together. It's our choice. But the motivation is, right, it's not a matter of choice. It's a matter of obedience. God told you to do it. And without it, you're just never going to be who you're meant to be. You're never going to become the person God dreamed of when he breathed life into your body and knit you in your mind. You just won't. I won't. And this mission of letting the world know that there's this amazing God, it's just not going to happen, at least through us. right? It's going to happen because even the rocks, right? Jesus said, I don't need you because even the rocks will cry out who I am. But, but what he wants to do through us won't happen unless there's this community where people walk in this building and say, wow, there's something going on here. These people love each other. They're here for each other. We've got groups over here that just love each other and they're for each other like we see happening in the life of you know, someone who joined this body back in June. You know, it's all about our choice, right? You know, you know These core values are, are meant to be ingrained in us. We honor biblical authority, we depend on God, and we do life together. I guess you guys to stand. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And, and God, I, I pray right now that, that we just worship you. And, and, and God, the, the thing that gives life meaning, the thing that makes community possible is Christ and Christ alone. He makes everything possible. So, God, I just pray just worship him right now. God, thank you for allowing us to be in your family. Thank you for adopting us. Thank you for putting up with us. Thank you for carrying our burdens and infusing our life with hope. In Jesus' name, amen.